I love it. Thank you so much, Nathan. This is Tracy Harrell, and you are checking out Bigger Than Me. This is bigger than me for so many reasons. We've talked about why we do this show, and it's for you. And today is the day after Christmas Eve, and as you can see, I'm not in the studio. Nathan, would you like to show people why I'm not in the studio? <laughs> the fact that... So what's going on in Seattle, Nathan? Oh boy, it's a white kind of delayed Christmas Eve or whatever you want to call it. I mean, how would you call it if it's the Christmas, white Christmas after the day of Christmas? It, it, it actually count? started snowing yesterday. Yeah, I mean, my, my backyard was all snowed in yesterday, but it's inches higher today. So we decided to keep me safe at home. And Nathan, you braved the storm. Thank you so much for getting into the studio for us today. <laughs> it was an ordeal, but happy to be here safely and sound safely in sound. So we got a lot happening. So as you know, we do this show bigger than me for 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 you, right? It's bigger than me. And part of what we we're doing, there's typically three segments. We focus on bigger than me diversity, bigger than me your destiny, bigger than me living free, and we have one more show where we're going to talk to AOE, bigger than me with Africans on the east side. So those are the four segments for today. And so we're going to start with and it's live. We don't to have a script, but we did have a couple cool videos that I wanted to share. And during our last show, we had a video with the president of the National Black MBA Association, Joe Handy. We didn't finish the video, so we're going to start with that. So Nathan, go ahead and show us. So Joe Handy, just to give you some, some background, Joe Handy is president of the National Black MBA Association um, of the, the headquarters organization. I happen to be president of the Seattle chapter. There are 42 chapters around the country, and we are committed to changing the status quo in business. I am leading this work, and I call it the Bigger Than Me Success Series. We've been doing it for three years now, well before George Floyd. Uh, it's kind of amplified since then because there's now an audience of people who see the challenges the way we've been talking about them and are ready for real change. And that is super exciting to me. So, what we're going to do is we're going to hear a little bit from an interview that I did with Joe Handy, who is going to talk about the national organization and why the work we're doing is so important. So go ahead and show us, Nathan. And I love this video. This is, again, this is Joe and I having a conversation. I'm not seeing anything yet, so I'll just keep talking until it pops up. <laughs> I'll stop talking when it's not there. Uh, so, uh Nathan, whenever you, oh, whenever you get ready to show the video, I'm ready. So, um, but Joe Handy is his his quote. We just did an event, so I, I'm actually writing a book called Bigger Than Me. So he's having a little trouble. No problem. We're gonna work it out. So it gives me time to tell you about this amazing book that I'm writing, and it is part of this Bigger Than Me Success series. So this work has been very intentional over the last few years. It's been so intentional. And before you play the video, I'm gonna finish this story. So you can go ahead and pop it back in. So the the Bigger Than Me, you can go ahead and pull the video up. Um, but the the Bigger Than Me Success series has been very intentional. We want to make sure that every organization, individual, professional, leader, and student, whoever you are, whatever type of organization you're in, you're very clear that there is a success strategy for inclusion, right? You can talk about diversity all day, but when you bring people in and they don't feel included and they leave, that's a worse experience for everyone involved, right? And so what we do is we actually have strategies for change. We know what to do to help you be successful. So we've done a series of very intentional uh, 
webinars with multiple people on the panels. We've also done a number, hundreds at this point, of individual one-on-one interviews like the one you're going to see today, as well as tons of research. Um, and so, thank you. So he's going to give it a go. <laughs> Let's go. And folks to look at us as a representative of what is to come. I love it. Yes, yes, and yes. Now, the the last couple of questions I want to ask you is I know you're going somewhere. You got flights here. You're flying around the country. You got a lot of things going on. So thank you for taking the time today. And thank you for committing to be a part of this initiative as we move forward. Right. So, I mean, you know, what does it mean to you for people to know that you've decided, you know what, this isn't, I'm not even giving a hashtag. Like I am showing up. And what I loved about you, Joe, we talked about this level of accountability. You're like, basically, I'm watching you. Companies, we're here for you, but we're also watching you. Let's talk about this term, accountability. What can they expect? I mean, like I said, I'm showing up every month. I've committed to doing these series once a month. We're going to bring people on that are doing great work. Going to get you an opportunity to celebrate them, but also, also, also to celebrate, but also to hold people accountable when they're not doing what they said. Let's talk about what that accountability means and why that accountability from the top, from Joe Handy saying, look, now is the it's time. important. It is. It is so important. We have to. We have to not only be bold and speak up for our community, but we have to ensure that we're actually doing what we say we're going to do. And there's a level of accountability there. It's almost. There's almost has to be some sort of accountability officer or accountability support, I should say, because I don't want to police people. I do want people to understand that you have to be held accountable for the actions that you take, as well as the statements that you make, but we're here to be supportive. You don't have to be out there on your own, but you have to have that self audit to say, if this is where I want to be, if this is what I want to do, and if this is what I'm committing to do, then we need to make sure that you're actually doing that. And you don't have to do it alone. We're not asking for someone to have all the answers, but be willing to accept some of the answers and be willing to actually do what you say you want to do. (laughs) I love it. Joe, let me tell you what I like to say with this work, this bigger than me success series. What I say to people, I'm doing consulting as well. What I say to people is being in, that is the win. Deciding that you want to be a part of a community that's moving forward, that has an aspiration of truly creating an inclusive culture where everyone can thrive. Being in is the win. It doesn't matter where you are, right? Right. If you've committed to move on that journey, that's the win. Right. And there doesn't have to be a distinction between doing well as a company, doing well as an individual, and also doing good. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can do well and do good at the same time. So there shouldn't be a fear that if you don't do what you say you're going to do, that it's going to have a negative implication. You can do well and do good. I love it. Joe, I got two, two, two last points to talk to you about. Now, we decided to call this kickoff session in this next phase of the series, Unapologetically Black, Fostering Inclusion and Living Beyond a Hashtag. Now, we talked about <laughs> living beyond a hashtag. Right. What do you think when you hear the term that Donald Comer, our current board chairman, likes to use. He says this every time I see him, we are unapologetically Black. What do you right. think about when you hear that? That's what do you grounding. Think about it? It's grounding. It's foundational. The purpose of this organization that was established 51 years ago was to support the Black community. And that is where we've been built on. That was our foundation. And that's where we are 51 years later. We're still focusing on the Black community. So we are unapologetically Black. 
because we are focused on our black community. We're focusing on uplifting. We're focusing on our black businesses. We're focusing on our black entrepreneurs. We're focusing on our black staff, our black members. Uh, we are unapologetically, unapologetically black. I love it. I love it. No, no, I do have to ask you a side question on that. When white corporate sponsors hear that term, what do you say that to them? Is there something you need to do to help them feel comfortable with that language? Absolutely. So in many cases, you have you have those circumstances where people say, well, you're focusing on a black community. I don't see color. And that is probably one of the things that uh, that I use as a learning or a teachable moment, because by saying I don't see color negates who I am as an individual. Saying that I don't see color negates everything that my color brings to the table and all the skills that come and all the learning that I had to go through to be where I am. So saying that I don't see color is almost diminishing of the fact that this of the journey that I had to go through. So when I talk to companies, I say, I need you to see color. Mm. I need you to see everything that we had to go through to get to where we are, because there is a story and a narrative in and that of itself that shows the tenacity, the strength of the community that we were able to get here in spite of, mm. in spite of all of the obstacles that are put in the way of Black individuals as they aspire. So I need you to embrace all of that. I need you to see all of that. I need you to see every obstacle that we had to go through and overcome to get to where we are, because that will help you appreciate what I am bringing to the table. Because it's not just the intellectual, it's not just the learned skills, it is those soft skills that we had to acquire to navigate this world. And those are the skills that are necessity, that are a necessity for businesses to, to advance and grow. And those are things that we had to do intuitively. Those are things that we had to do just to survive, to get here. So I need you to see that. I need you to see me in my blackness. And I'm not apologizing for who I am or what I am, because that is part of why I am here today. I love me some Joe Handy. <laughs> Joe. Thank you, Tracy. Joe. Okay, last last question, because I know you gotta go. I'm just I'm just gonna have to put it out there. Now, you know, Sinek talks about, you know, starting with why. You know, my why is pretty simple, right? It's about the youth. It's about making sure that we're changing things immediately because we do have things that can change immediately. When you have an inclusion experience, your perspective changes, you change as a person, right? We do have solutions for this work, but we're also doing it for our youth. We wanna make sure that the next generation is not having the same experiences that our organization was founded on 52 years ago. So can you tell me a little bit about the youth, the youth, why this is so important for the youth and what would you say to young people today who are like, I ain't trying to go into corporate America, right? Cause I, I know what it's like. I've seen my parents, right, have the struggle. What would you say to young people and why is that such an important driver? You know, you know, that's a very interesting question, Tracy. And the reason I say that is we forget how the youth help shape who we are in our present. We forget that the youth is what is driving change within our country. So I would say we have to be, continue to be supportive of the youth, appreciate the perspective that they've given and learn from them because 
their uh, tolerance is a lot less than ours. Even if you looked at the uh, looked at the protest that took place this past year, you look at who was driving that change and who was demanding change. It was the youth. Even if we were to go back, if you look at Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or some of the other other sort of folks that have been intimately involved in advancing our community, they were in their 20s. So as far as how we, I, as far as what we talk to the youth and how we talk to the youth, as we start to grow within our careers, we have to look back, we can lean forward and advance and pull our way up, but we also should be supportive and turn around and pulling back those that are behind us. And those that are behind us is the youth. So if we can't be out there or we look at the way that we are um, sort of fighting for change, we also have to be supportive of the youth because they are the front line. And they're, what they are experiencing is yet to be manifested. So in a sense of what they are trying, what they are impacting from a change standpoint, they will soon appreciate. So what we have to do, our the, the, the older folks, is be supportive of, of the youth because they are the ones that are bold and are driving change. It was bold and ambitious young individuals 51 years ago that started this organization. And sometimes we forget that narrative. Sometimes we get sort of too big for uh, bigger than what we think we are. And we forget that the change is being driven by the youth. Mm, I love it. Final, final question is really a call to action, Joe. This is called the Bigger Than Me Success Series. It's about us coming together collectively. So what would you say to leaders and organizations, but also Black professionals, Black leaders, corporate sponsors, what would you say to people about leaning in and truly being a part of the change that they want to see? I would say this is the time. This is the time for us to double down on our community. This is the time for us to impact change. There hasn't been, at least in my lifetime, a spotlight that exists on a Black community that exists on a Black community now. We have to give grace to our community, but we also have to be very focused on advancing and using this opportunity to educate and get involved. You can get involved with the National Black MBA Association because you see what we've done of as far as the breadth of our work, but there are also organiza other organizations that you can get involved in as well. You can take your passion into your own company or to your own community and get involved. I'm not telling you where to put that passion. I'm just saying, take that passion and do something with it. Mm, I love it. Joe Handy, you know, you're one of my favorites, right? <laughs> Casey, thank you so much. Yo, this is great. This is, you know, we always say it's bigger than me, but together it's not bigger than us. We got this. Thank Absolutely. Thank you. Don't you love Joe Handy? <laughs> I love him. I do get excited about these videos. I have hundreds of amazing videos of individuals, and this isn't new work. You know, Joe mentioned that the National Black MBA Association was founded over it was 52 years ago. So an MBA started the organization in the University of Chicago for similar reasons that we're talking about challenges that we have today. So I actually love 
when he actually talks about, uh, he said, when someone asks or says something around, they don't, when they say they don't see color, he says, that's a teaching moment. And I just wrote a quote down. He said, I need you to see my color. Joe said, I need you to understand the obstacles and to embrace what we had to overcome to get where we are. I need you to see me is what he said. I mean, I love Joe. (laughs) I really do. I I like it when someone who's a leader of leaders, you know, steps up and says, you know, I'm not going to leave things the way they were. If, If I can change things, I must. And that's really where I am. I mean, I'm so excited about the work I've been able to do. And it's so much bigger than me. It really is. I mean, this Bigger Than Me movement is is really about each of us deciding that we want to be a part of real change. And so I'm going to ask Nathan to pull up, go back in the past a little bit and pull up the the highlights video. Uh, This is from like, I think when when I first started this Bigger Than Me success series, back in July, June or July of 2020. And so what I really want you to see is these are conversations that we were having. And again, this is the, this, this last chapter in the book, the Bigger Than Me Success Series. I was being very intentional about the work. So I, I'm laying out a book so that everyone is very clear. Here's what success looks like. Oh, did I mention I'm a certified <laughs> Nathan? I love doing this. Did I mention that I'm a certified success coach? (laughs) I have to. So the Success Magazine, that team, they're joining in on this work to make sure that we lay out a very clear path. I say it has to be for everyone. We're going to up-level these conversations to make sure there's formal training as well for anyone who realizes that, you know, we've been having these same conversations, but things haven't really changed in your organization, people on your watch, right, need to experience a different change. So go ahead and share this uh, little clip from this, this, these highlights from a session that we had. Uh, and again, this was the beginning of the Bigger Than Me success series. These was real people coming together, having conversations, but really saying why, identifying a case for change and then a call to action. Are you ready, Nathan? He's ready. <laughs> I love it. These are some of the people that were involved. I love this achieving racial equity and inclusion. Yeah, it was the reason this is called achieving racial equity and inclusion in, edu- in business, education, wealth, and health. It's in all of our systems. That means we're all complicit. But what's the good news about that is that means we can all be a part of the solution. So if you work for one of those companies that has made a grand declaration about what they're going to do for equity and inclusion, we're asking you to join this movement, this grassroots movement, to really add a little additional pressure to those CEOs who, for years, you'll hear hear Bill talk about this. This is not a new conversation. These same CEOs who said that they are 100% focused on changing things, This is a conversation we've had for years. So what we're bringing to you is a new conversation, a new activation, the opportunity to truly transform. So much. This is Bruce. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to, uh, at some level, it's not enough to protest about it. It ought to be a call to action for us to do some things differently. Uh, about it. And that's really uh, what the essay was about. It, it was about the responsibility that we all have to change the status quo, to make a difference, 
to address systemic racism in some concrete ways that, that ultimately uh, will lead to its demise. It's also a recognition uh, that, that we have to hold ourselves accountable. I want to draw awareness to the things that you don't want to talk about, that you want to sweep underneath the rug. That is the reality of the life that we live day in and day out. I'm done with trying to make you feel like it's okay. It's not your problem. It's not your fault. It is your problem. And until you recognize and realize that it is your problem, you're not going to do anything about it. what it is that we need to really do in organizations. And they know, quite frankly, they know what they need to do. Uh, there is a CEO action plan that started about, oh, three years ago, 2017. And there are now well over a thousand companies that have signed on with a commitment, a stated commitment to furthering diversity and advancing diversity and inclusion in the business. Yet and still today, we still see the tremendous disparities that have resulted from, I'll call it false promises. What Brene Brown likes to say, that's going to be the next video that we share with you. She talks about owning our stories. So what we're doing as a part of this exercise is we're bringing stories. We're, we're, we're bringing a voice and power to the voiceless and to those who felt powerless. But we're also creating a space for those with power, those who say they want to change things. You are welcome. We actually need you. This session on 7-7 was amazing. It was over 80% Black people. And what we said to ourselves, leaders, executives, professionals, and students, we're not going to be able to change this on our own. Individually, what we can do is invite each of you to be a part of change. Whoever you are, culture by definition is about how we change things together and it starts with telling our stories. Here's what Brene Brown has to say. If we own our story, we get to write the ending. And if we don't own our story, the story owns us. And I think in the gifts of imperfection, I really, that was the first time in my life personally that I've owned my story, that I wrote about, hey, look, I had this complete breakdown at 41. Um, I fell apart. I got, I was so tired and exhausted from trying to outrun vulnerability and outrun perfectionism. If we think about collectively, if we know it's true in our own lives that the stories we own, we get to write the ending, and the stories that we don't own, own us, we can take that micro lesson and apply it in a macro concept, in a community concept. The stories that we don't own collectively own us. We have to own the story in order to write the different ending. We need to write our narrative collectively on what that looks like. Because if you say nothing, you leave it up for interpretation on what your thoughts, ideas, and opinions are. Even if you don't know what to say, to be honest and genuine, to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin. What can I do? We have to write the narrative for that. We can't allow absence um, of thought to, or commenting on it, to step in and speak on our behalf. And we definitely need to hold corporations accountable. And we all see the world 
through this unique lens. The whiter, more Judeo-Christian, straighter, middle-class, educated we are, the more likely it is that we were told that how we see the world is actually the world. And how other people see the world is another unreal version of the, of the world. That our, our view is the world. The thing that's hard, and the thing I think we make a mistake, even in my field in social work, we tell people that empathy is putting down that lens and picking up the lens of another person. I'm going to pick up the lens of an Asian-American student who's first-generation immigrant who is, we can't put down the lens. The lens is soldered to our face. That's how we see the world. So how, if empathy requires perspective-taking, how do we take the perspective of other people if the lens that we see the world through is soldered to us? The answer is you believe people's stories, you believe people's experiences as they tell them to you. You believe when people tell their story and say, this is my experience of what it was like to work there. This is my experience of what it was like to be a student there. This was my experience of what it was like to be called that that you don't run that through your lens, you understand that the world that they see through their lens is as real and honest and truthful as the world that we see through our lens. We are trying to unpack and unbundle hundreds of years of, well, I won't call it racism, but discriminatory behavior, which is rooted in racism, so the, the, the work that needs to be done is it has to be very intentional. It's got to be very focused. And leaders of the organizations really need to be clear about what it is that they're really talking about. We've got to prepared for, be prepared for when this isn't the issue of the moment and still work and still uh, push forward. Uh, because it doesn't happen by itself, it happens because people make the effort on an ongoing basis, on a systemic basis, if you will, to change that. There are about five professionals from academic institutions, government agencies, nonprofit, global corporations, and they were all there to discuss and answer the central question around why do Black need to be underrepresented in the executive suite given the proven economic benefits of diversity? Uh, and after a series of discussions, there are four themes that emerge, and I'll go through each of those and provide a little bit of context. And again, I think all these things have already been said, and this think tank that we held uh, now almost four years ago, you know, we, we had just kind of a blank slate discussion. There were no prompts. Uh, the, the, the themes that came out were all organic based on the conversation. Uh, so the first was unconscious bias. And again, the four themes that emerged around why that persists and continues to be a problem, unconscious bias, inequitable performance standards, lack of support systems, and CEO accountability measures. Systems uh, of inequity flourish because they convince 
people that they are powerless to stop them. That's mm. it. Hold on. No, no, no. You got to say that again. You got to say that again. Pause, pause. Una momento. Can't do it. <laughs> That's foundational. Systems of inequity exist because people believe they are powerless to change them. Right. So why, why now and, 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 and why should we be talking about this? I mean, it's time to strike while the iron is hot. I mean, with all of the things that are going on in the world, um, we are sadly mistaken if we think what we see happening in the world is not a carbon copy of what's basically been drugged into the corporate America world. It is a replication of that. And um, we have to fix um, some of the uh, discrepancies <laughs> that exist in terms of equality, um, equity, access, and power. And really the only way to do that is to take full advantage of a lot of the movement um, that's taking place in these conversations and then hold corporate America accountable for the very people, the very group that have definitely helped to um, really, um, I'm gonna say support, but I don't mean that in a way in terms of um, calling it neglect, although to some degree you could call it neglect of the things that are happening in this world, and yes, particularly to Black African Americans. And while our Black men are a target for a lot of what we're seeing, let's not get it twisted. Black women, we are seeing a lot of that happening as well. Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, we are on the chopping block as well. In this first session, what we did, and we were very specific, you'll see these guests and we're gonna go into uh, more specifics, but it was really about creating a case for change. We can't unite for change as we, if we don't believe there's really something that needs to be changed. So when you think about the racial unrest in this country and you think about people that are protesting in the streets of America today, they're protesting because of inequality, injustices, racism, abuse, trauma, and those same things that happen in the streets of America every day are also happening in corporate America. They're happening in every business in America. Michael Verso. Sometimes the past isn't even the past, right? And so we talk about the, the history and the structures that have been in place whether it be you know, from slavery to Jim Crow to, um, to redlining to um, exclusion from certain, um, certain job categories. Um, you know, the, um, those things are still happening, right? Um, and you know, so let's be honest with me, uh, um, somebody else, uh, I think it was Michelle was talking right about, you know, not, not having access to, to certain opportunities or not, not um, you know, the, 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 or um, I think it was Bill, you were talking about the, the trend line, right, for, for wealth, right, is, is going down. Racism and discrimination against Black people is not a Black people's problem. That is, it's not a problem that you have to ask us to fix something that we did not ask to participate in. Um, we, we are not the problem. It's a collective. It is a humanity problem. And we've got to get our heads around that and understand and recognize that what has been done before 
is not working. So we need to clearly do something different. Michael Verschel. The fact that, that we still, you know, we still don't graduate African Americans from high school at the same rate we graduate white. We don't, they don't get into college at the same rate. We don't graduate college at the same rate. Um, you know, the fact that we that um, that um, you know, so so I guess you know maybe so one takeaway right is that um, the past isn't the past. The past is now. A lot of times it's what we, each of us, I think, want to say, but when you're working inside of an organization, there's a, you know, a paradox, right, that, that exists. You don't want to upset the apple cart. Um, you know, if you're one of those individuals who works inside of an organization and you've heard your CEOs make these grand declarations, but your lived experience is different, we are here for you. If you're an ally, a white professional or a white leader, and you're like, okay, there's obviously a problem here, but I don't know what to do about it. Join us, join this bigger than me movement. This is for you. It's for you. It's for us to really change things, to change the status quo. This is a movement. We are starting a movement. We're really changing the status quo. And this movement is called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. Yes, it's a systems change. So this really is about how do we think about those problems that we know exist? those key challenges? How do we bring together adaptive leadership, positive psychology, as well as something that's very simple. It's called self-directed learning. So when you know a thing, it's really not about knowing it. Information is only one part of the equation. Information only leads to transformation through activation. And so what we're doing today is we're recapping a session that was on 7-7. It's a six-part transformational series. And the sessions are on 7-7-8-8-9-9-10-10-11-11 and 12-12 of 2020. So there's going to be monthly initiatives, national initiatives, but we're also hosting recaps and deeper conversations using this weekly show. So I'm super excited and we're going to get right to it. So we're gonna start with a simple video, one of my favorites around how to start a movement. Check this out. Because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, 
have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Do you love that? <laughs> what I love about that is this is so simple. This Bigger Than Me success series really is about transforming hearts and minds. It's about co-creating solutions and implementing known solutions. It's really, this isn't a new conversation, but what is new is this is a critical point in history where we all agree talking about solving a problem a problem that we've talked about for years and not taking new transformational action. It's just, it's just not acceptable. What we're going to do with this Bigger Than Me success series is we're offering this to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are, from Microsoft to McDonald's, from the CEO to the janitor, from the East Coast to the West Coast, the North to the South. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's welcome. It also doesn't matter where you are in your journey. Because this is about creating a safe space for everyone to learn and grow. All right. Don't you love that? I get super excited when I flash back. This work has been so intentional. And what's exciting is we get to now share it with the world. So we, I actually trademarked this term. It's called transformational inclusive leadership. There's a full training series that showcases what we're doing, why we're doing it. And, and the how, part of the how was this Bigger Than Me success series. And it is a movement. Join the movement. And I know this is going to be turned into a podcast. So many of you are just going to be hearing those voices. But go to our YouTube channel. My name is Tracy Harrell, the Bigger Than Me. So look up YouTube. Tracy, T-R-A-C-I, Harrell, H-A-R-R-E-L, or look up Bigger Than Me, because the videos are really so powerful when you see these beautiful people telling their stories. We have uh, hundreds of videos. This is the work that we're doing to truly change the world. So there's a book that's coming out in a few months. These videos are going to be obviously part of that, as well as there's an audio book, obviously, that's going to be supported by the videos. So we, this is for you. And this isn't about us doing something for someone else. This is saying this is, we're inviting you to be a part of a movement. And, and as a success coach, what really gets me excited is we have a team of success coaches all around the world who we all know what it takes to be successful. Now, some things are easier than others. So another series of books that I'm writing, it's, it's called. Really, I'll just I'll just pause and say the uh, the success community they have something. It's called a, a, a life wheel, and I think I've talked about it before. It shows all the aspects of life: spiritually, your physical walk, right, your your um, your family and relationships, etc. And so, there's certain parts of the work that I do that I can do in my sleep. Like I can tell you how to, as a consultant, I can tell you how to create an inclusive culture. I can walk you through the process lovingly and get you and your team to enjoy it and do that work in an awesome way, right? The other thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to connect all aspects of success. So I'm actually linking this with weight loss. I'm linking it with becoming a better parent. I'm linking it with anything, all areas of your life. You can and we can be successful, right? If something's easy for you, then that's great. Then you should be sharing your success strategies with someone when that where that thing isn't easy that's what i'm doing like when it comes to inclusion i got you <laughs> i 
I got you. And when it comes to weight loss, I got you there too, right? And when I say I got you, I'm actually going to just do the work. And that's what we're going to be inviting you to do in 2022. So that's my question. What are you going to do in 2022 to make all of your dreams come true? I love it. (laughs) I'm so excited. Now we have a couple of minutes and I'm about to transition to the final phase of, we we started this, this brief partnership with a group called Africans on the East Side. And the founder of Africans on the East Side is Adam Deba. I'm not sure who else she's going to have here with her team, but we are going to do a little full transition now where, oh, Karen is here too. Yay. So we are ready to transition to Africans on the East Side. Nathan, what you got for us? It's time to move East. This is Bigger Than Me with AOE. I was so glad when you said, you know what, Tracy, we got to make sure people are clear, like why AOE spent this time with Bigger Than Me. And part of it was because you guys are focused on empowering others. You wanted to elevate voices. And I'm so glad we had this time together. I think today's going to be our last show. So I wanted to really, and you, you, you both are beautiful. So you're welcome to come back anytime. You know that. But tell me, tell me a little bit about um, what, you're doing now. Where are you, Adam? I think I think there's a secret. <laughs> I think there's a secret that you wanted to share with us. Where are you? Well, um, I wanted my mom to be on, but um, as you guys can see, it's almost 11 a.m. in the Smiling Coast, the Gambia, in West Africa. That's where I am. Yes. Um, so I will be I will be videoing her so that you can see the mom behind Adam. <laughs> to raise me to be Adam. So we will have that on for you and we'll share it with you guys if you want to, Tracy. But yes. I am in the smiling coast of West Africa, the Gambia. That's where I'm joining you guys on today. So t- tell us a little bit for those of us who, again, I have to admit, you you guys have helped me so much in learning more about Africa and the African culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I- I'm immersing myself in that. You call it the smiling coast? Tell us more. Yes. Why Why is it called that? Well, this is a happy, happy place for most people, even though um, we have poverty and a lot of struggles with young kids and stuff. People are usually very happy, but I don't know where the term smiling came from, but I can look it up and tell you more about it. But we always call it the smiling coast and people (laughs) love it. We have a lot of stories that comes here. We have great food, great beaches and just lovely people. Even they don't have much, but they appreciate what they have. I love it. Now, Adam, now you know I'm about to call you out now. You're always gorgeous. You always have something high style. You got your little beautiful blue on. What is that that I see on your hand? Is that new? That's henna. What is it? What did you get? And is there some story behind I, it? I, well, I just got a henna when I was flying out because it's usually a tradition thing that um, people usually do it with when they're getting married and when we have Eid celebrations. But I wanted just to have something cool and fancy. So I did it before I traveled. Well, it is cool and fancy. Show us, show us, show us now. Hold, hold your hands up. Show <laughs> us what you got. Nice. She's inked up, people, for the... 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. Now, I know you don't like to tell all your business, so we're not going to talk about how long you're going to be in Cambria, but, <laughs> but tell us about your trip. I know you came there to, to help some young people. They're, they're, well, you know, there's a yeah. lot of things you're doing. Tell us about that. COVID-19, what's happening? Well, I came um, um, when I started Africans on the East Side. Um, it's always been a dream of mine to empower my own con people in my own country, especially the young female who um, all sometimes went, what they think about is just early childhood marriage, which I don't think is, um, is the best solution and also just roaming in the streets. So I wanted to dig deep to find out the reason behind that. Um, and that's why I'm also here. I'm gonna have some time relaxing vacation, but I wanna um, form um, a collaboration, Africans on the East Side in Bellevue, Africans on the East Side in the Smiling Coast, the Gambia, where we're going to empower young youths to, um, through education, through pen pal, and connecting with them through WhatsApp and also helping them to see why what's happening to them is happening and why can we help them to sustain and help their family and also to help themselves to be as strong as they can. And then we will bring in the males too to help them empower them. Mm, I love it. Karen, you, when, I, when I first met you, you told me how much I was going to love Adam. You underestimated how much I was going to love Adam. Every time I meet her, there's something new and amazing new. right? Yep. about her. So so tell, tell me, uh, I think you guys were also going to talk about COVID. Um, you, yes. Well, we, um, yeah. yeah, we uh, had a uh, help to... Um, uh, collaborate with uh, a couple of other African uh, organizations, uh, the Gambia Association and uh, West African Coalition um, to put on a COVID vaccine clinic uh, last week. And we got more than 60 um, folks vaccinated, including 20 youth. And uh, really, uh, Omicron is here. Uh, COVID is here. Uh, you know, just really have to uh, just stress how much uh, we have to take responsibility for each other, you know, by taking care of ourselves. And so, um, but we had a lot of uh, mostly African folks come out to the clinic. And, um, you know, just a lot of folks have, have heard a lot of myths and lies about the vaccines. And unfortunately, historically, um, Black folks have been experimented on uh, a lot. And so to see so many folks come out and, you know, who have done the research or who trust people, leaders in their community um, to go ahead and get the vaccine so that they can um, take care of themselves and their families, especially the little ones who can't get vaccinated yet. There's not a vaccine for babies and toddlers. And so uh, it was a great turnout. It was a great turnout, a great collaboration. I love it. And Karen, you, you're not just a, a regular somebody. You actually work in the nurse. You work as a nurse in the school system. I'm a registered nurse. Yes. I'm a registered nurse. And so I've seen, I mean, I think I want to say all of us know somebody who's died of COVID. Right. Uh, uh, somebody who's been critically ill from COVID. And then you have those who maybe they don't have symptoms, but it, it runs all the way. So it's no joke. Um, and it's really sad um, when, you know, things people can do, uh, do things to prevent um, such a tragedy. But yeah, it, it, we got to be responsible, responsible mm -hmm. for the community and do our part. I love it. Adam, tell us a little bit about COVID in Africa. I mean, you hear all these stories. What's going on there? 
most of the people here, I think um, they are just on the unknown and on like not believing that COVID is real. And I think um, I, when I say I'm going to be sharing um, a video with Karen, I was on a journey yesterday on, the, um, on a boat, the ferry to go across from the Gambia to a tiny town called Barra. And people were not wearing masks, but I brought a whole lot of masks and then I was buying some on the ferry and passing it on to people. And young ones were really taking it. And then we started talking about COVID. And most of them don't believe that COVID is real, but the conversation was deep. So I'm very excited to see when we start working with this youth group that we wanna work across the continent, what education we can give them so that they can go and um, teach other people um, about the vaccine and also how to stay safe. Because some of them are getting vaccinated, but most of the people don't want to get vaccinated. They don't want to wear a mask. But um, uh, so I don't know the depth of it, but it's something that I really, really want to dig deep into because I want um, everyone in this country to be safe. My mom was um, the first one, I think, to be vaccinated when vaccination was allowed here right. in, um, in the Gambia. So um, I want everyone to be protected. And I think education... Um, in any languages that we speak is going to help a lot. And traveling mm -hmm. to the little villages, which I will be doing soon, after a well-rested week, I will travel, <laughs> just take one village and travel and see what is there. But I'll be wearing, I'm vaccinated. I got my booster shot. I'll be having my mask and all my hand sanitizers, and I will take some with me while That's I go it. to see them. Yeah. I love I love that so much. So is it true? Like are, are vaccines available to um, yes, widely yes, available yes. Like, like it is here? No, it's not like likely, likely kind of available. But I think um if we dig deep and figure it out, we it will be available. But it you have to have the mentality of belie believing that COVID is real and it's killing people. And we have to get them to that mindset of understanding that um let's prevention before cure so that. we prevent it before we cure so let's prevent it by educating them with the mm. languages they understand mm. and then bringing them the tools that they need which i'm excited to work on and to if i have to journey back out here within six months to do that um i'm ready to do it i work for saiu a union that's proactive in union um in vaccinations and stuff and we represent all healthcare workers and service workers. So it's very key and very important to me to make sure so my country, little country, the people are safe and well protected. I love that. You, you're so, you're so beautiful. I think we just dropped, I think Karen just dropped uh, accidentally. Hopefully she'll join us again. But Miss Adam, what else would you like to share about being home? Like you're home for the holidays. And so many of us, honestly, want to go back to the continent. I've never been to Africa. I hope to someday. What would you like to share with those of us who want to go home and how does it feel to be home? Well, it's really, really nice to be home because it's far away from home. I'm missing my three beautiful daughters who are back home, who, um, you know, as a parent, even though they're older, you're still worried about them. But I'm excited to see my mom, my nieces and my nephews. And I can, I'm ready to video them, ask questions and talk with them. I am here with my, um, with my better half, um, Fatu Dabo, who also is in healthcare, um, who believes in all kinds of stuff. So that's kind of exciting 
to be here and to do that journey and to be around family because to me family is key and family is very important and um everybody know my mom is getting older and um the more i can be around her the better i feel and so i'm excited to be home well we love 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 having you here karen any final words we got five minutes left ladies any final words you want to share as it relates to just the aoe journey any final words you want to share with your community it's holidays uh, right we're starting sure. a new year let's think forward into the new year yeah yeah i mean i think a lot of what you were talking about today in the early part of your show um just about um accountability and uh, really just, you know, holding yourself accountable and holding others accountable. I think that's what AOE is doing. I mean, for a long time, we wait, we waited, waited. Folks said they were gonna do something, they didn't. And, you know, it came to the point where, why are we acting like we don't have power? Why don't we, why are we, do we keep, keep acting like we don't, our voices aren't important? And so, um, you know, really, I just, I think it's important that we, challenge ourselves, uh, you know, use our voices, use our voices and grab somebody and bring them with us. You know, just, we don't always have a translator, but people see what you're doing. I mean, just like people don't understand everything about the COVID shot, but if they see Adam getting a shot, then they're gonna say, okay, well, we trust her, you know? And so I think, you know, we, sometimes we, we um, make ourselves small, but, uh, so AOE wants to elevate these same voices. This is what you were talking about as well. That accountability piece. We want, if we want to do it, then we gotta, we actually gotta get out there and meet people. We gotta travel. We gotta, you know, speak up for people who are suffering. You know, give that coat to somebody who's cold. I mean, like if if we're really saying that this is what we believe, that we actually have to do it because people are watching. They watch us when we don't do it. They watch us when we do mm -hmm. do it. So I, I think live your truth, you know, if you're going to say it, then live it. That, that's the challenge yep. for the new year. I, I love yeah, and it. Don't, don't, yep, don't let perfect be the enemy of God. You just always have to think outside the box. Um, when I started this journey, like I always said, it's been 20, um, a decade I've been in the Bellevue School District, empowering and doing equity work. It's my passion. And I want to lift, now I want to lift every Af African person that's living across the globe and in the United States. I want, I want their voices to be heard. I want people to see that they have talent. And with talent and education, compassion, carrying yourself and with dignity and being humble will take you a long way. And AOE's motto is, I don't need you to have two letters across next to your name to say that I'm a BSN, I'm an RN. Everybody is welcome with an open hand and with a hug. I love it. That's that. Yes. Bye-bye from the Smiling Coast. From the Smiling Coast. This is Tracy Bye from the East Coast. It's bigger than me, but together it's not bigger than us. We got that. Time for me to sleep. Right. Just do it. No, I'm going to hit the streets. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye.